0: This is Media Moves, the podcast for executives to make sense of the perpetually moving media landscape. I'm Adam Ryan. Today, I dive in with Sherelle Dorsey, CEO and founder of The Plug. Media companies are built on storytelling, yet, when it comes to building a brand, storytelling tends to be forgotten. Sherelle doesn't hold back and gives us insights into how her superpower of storytelling has helped her overcome the perception that doing good means you can't make money. She gives us the tactics of her pricing strategy for the plug's unique database and how lazy reporting for black tech founders created an opening for her empire. This is a great one. Let's dive in. Every smart marketer I talk to is paying more attention to first and zero party data. Understanding your audience is key, and Sail Through makes that process simple and effective. I love how intuitive their platform is to use, and it saves a lot of time. Head to salethrough.com to check out their great product or via the link in our description. All right, Sherelle, thank you so much for coming on Media Moves today.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Adam. This is great.
0: I know. Uh, we have gotten to know each other over the last year. I would say your an amazing operator, a great founder, and a wonderful picker out of baby clothes and uh, baby items. So thank you for the gift of my my recent child.
1: Oh, yes. See, I am a professional auntie, so I always get the gifting right. So You, you, you nailed
0: it. Uh, you absolutely nailed it. Well, uh, besides as a thank you, I also wanted to have you on because I think you're absolutely world-class at storytelling to build a brand. You have been leading the plug uh, now for a few years, And it's so hard to differentiate in media. It's incredibly difficult to build out a niche media at scale. And the only way to do it is through storytelling. And uh, I think you're you're at the best at it. I want to get in the weeds of how you've learned that.
1: There was a sense of necessity, particularly in storytelling about this uprise of Black investors, startup founders, innovation communities and hubs that were starting to really get off the ground particularly outside of the, the usual cast of character cities that we are usually attributing like what innovation actually looks like. I recall living in Charlotte, North Carolina and Bridgeport, Connecticut, after having left New York City and, you know, had worked in tech, worked for the Ubers of the world and Google Fibers, and everything was exciting, you know, at that time, early 2010s. And everyone was trying to be to build their next, you know, startup and be like this all encompassing, charismatic, rich Mark Zuckerberg with the hoodie kind of situation. And there was something lacking in a lot of the storytelling in the media, especially when we talked about the future and who got access to it. Just as like a one off journalist on the side, I was interviewing the Steve Cases of the World who had just released like Rise of the Rest. I was Writing for Next City, which was definitely solutions oriented journalism, and being able to cover like fascinating, quirky people that have not really been seen in traditional mainstream business and tech news, and particularly folks of color. I think the storylines were primarily this kind of like magical minority moment. And you saw like the same, like five or six black people in tech or in business have the exact same story, just in different publications. I thought it was intellectually lazy from a journalistic perspective. And I also thought it just didn't give us give us the richness of like really dope things that people in general were creating. And so the plug came out as like this labor of love, something I was doing at like 5, 6 a.m. just as a daily newsletter covering this kind of side of tech that seemed to be obscure, but was like in front of my face every single day. Um, so accidentally I used that kind of boredom of what was being discussed and like mainstream and said like, well, I just want to talk about this. Um, There wasn't necessarily an intention to create a business. It was more of like, how do I build community through this? How do I spotlight and shed light and do actual analysis on these companies and kind of see who are my people in this space and like what maybe can come out of that?
0: I mean, the most authentic stories are ones that are not manufactured, right? And it was, it was your story. But turning that story into a great business, which you have, uh, the plug is, in my opinion the leading industry publication when it comes to black intelligence tech, you're building not only content that speaks to the audience that you have with high intellectual coverage, uh, not lazy laziness of, of the same rinse and repeat stories, which I love you, you bluntly calling out, but also you're building technology stack that will help you help your audience consume that in a more digestible way. How did you go from that pivot? How did you go from I have my master's degree in journalism from Columbia. I'm one of the best writers in the country to like I'm going to build potentially like a generational changing media business.
1: Oh my gosh. I wish my ego was that level of health. Um, <laughs> that level I'm of not healthy.
0: pumping you. I'm not pumping. <laughs> pump.
1: No, I love it. Honestly, honestly, it was about a series of questions and experiments. I was leaving two pretty interesting startups where a lot of my work from the marketing and sales aspect was deeply diving into analytics and As I would be building out stories on the side for the various publications I was writing for, so like from Fast Company to Black Enterprise uh, to Next City, The Root, what have you, even as I was going to conferences, I mean, I genuinely just felt like there has to be more data that we can pull as things are happening in real time. And I even like remember like reading Bloomberg's autobiography and how he even built up Bloomberg. And I saw this this lagging opportunity of being able to take these data sets that were not being tapped, particularly when it came to Black-led tech businesses, and starting to cultivate these things, specifically for my reporting. I, I didn't realize how significant it would be in the industry as a whole. And even when I decided to go get my master's in journalism, I decided specifically to focus on data. And what was really interesting is that I applied to Columbia with the intent of I want to turn what I've created with the plug into an actual business. So every single story, every single class that I took was in every assignment that I turned in were things that I was either publishing on the plug or experimenting with to kind of build out into an actual business. Um, So I tried to use that time as effectively as possible and create the data sets that I wish I would have even had in grad school to complete my work. A lot of the things that went viral for us at the plug were things that I was legit, like just building out As experiments for class assignments and watching people engage with them and like learning from that experiment of, oh, we don't have a full listing of like Black owned coworking spaces and operators as we're seeing like at the time, the WeWorks of the world like proliferate around the world, right? And like, what does that actually mean when we think about the progress of innovation communities happening? So, again, a series of questions and experiments that kind of led me to, all right, you know, this is what people are asking for as they're subscribing. I remember being in school and a subscriber had reached out to me and was like, hey, like I'm a partner at Newark Venture Partners. I'm going to be in the city. Can we meet for coffee? And I remember taking that meeting and, you know, they're telling me like, you know, we are really trying to be hyper-focused on diversifying our portfolio. And we're reading the plug specifically because we're seeing access to deal flow. So everything I thought about what the plug was going to be in terms of just generally building community completely shifted for me. It was like, oh wait, executives are reading this. Government agencies that are hyper focused on workforce development, they're reading this. You know, obviously other entrepreneurs, but folks who were running accelerators, other investors, like it completely changed the game for the way in which we realized this is more than just great storytelling. This truly is about taking a highly, highly underexamined group of entrepreneurs and sector in this space. And synthesizing this for the powers that be, who are starting to shift priorities around equity, inclusion, and just like opportunity to make more money by making different kinds of investments and unlocking this opportunity in various markets.
0: I think one of the things that I found most interesting when we first met was you have a way about yourself where what you're doing is for the greater good. And I think that's like true, but like no bullshit. You want to make money and you were like, yes, we're doing this, but it's not a charity. It's not an profit Like I'm here to like build and like make yeah. money. Has it always been that way for you? Was it like ever like, you know what, like there's a larger like mission here where like it's really hard to access like black owned businesses like we're going to do this. Is it the same? Like when did you get that? And then also like in your building, how many times did that like come up to you for you?
1: I mean, that's such a great question. I think there's a there's a little bit of politics in there with specifically when you are black and you're building something that seems to be in the public interest or of service, particularly to your community. People automatically assume that you're building a nonprofit. Right. And that I've had to kind of face throughout my journey and even building other things where it's like, oh, you're not supposed to make money from this. It's supposed to be a nonprofit. So there's like some some politics and 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 um identity challenges there. I particularly had more conflict with the core tenets of journalism being used to uplift democracy and being in the public interest. And so feeling like there are definitely parts of our work that, especially in the early the early phases of building out the plug and trying to figure out how do we do this in a sustainable way where it was like, well, this is a lot of interesting information that people can use to their advantage, right? It was like, should we unlock all of our databases for people to be able to use? And, and we have, right? We've given a lot of content away. We have, we've made content highly accessible, I had to take a seat back, especially graduating in J-School in 2018 when Gawker, Mike, BuzzFeed, Mashable, all of these major entities that were like rolling in cash at one point, were seeing their valuations diminish very quickly after having raised like a lot of money. And, you know, where I saw this world of instant journalism, everything for consumption is free, and you're kind of chasing this, this never ending monster that is never 100% satisfied with just having a high quality, long form article. I felt like I don't want to be part of that machine and that race. I can't compete on that level. Because at that time, I hadn't even considered raising money. I was operating purely off of advertising, I was operating purely off of the grants that I could score and the partnerships I was able to uh, to foster with folks like Vice Media. And in some other some other sort of niche-based publications. And so my thinking was if I can if I can just slow this down and make people sit with it and think about it, there's true and tremendous value here. There's value in the labor that goes into cultivating a data set. And as I started to look at what people were paying for data and insights individually, I really had to come to terms with just because this is a thing that is black and is new, it does not mean that we have to give away all of our intelligence for free. I still get criticized for that in some cases. I get Fortune 1000 companies all the time with multi-billion dollar budgets who ask us for free data all the time. And I have blatantly said, you've probably seen some of my tweets where it's like, do not ask black researchers, do not ask journalists and, and, and intelligence tools for free data because you will pay everyone else a crap ton of money for this information and when i looked at the bloomberg model when i looked at some of these other models the gartner model it was very clear to me that this is significant information and as i saw investors using it as i saw cities leverage it to build out cases to invest in like accelerators in their cities it was like this is useful Like, why would I give this away for free? This took a very long time to pull together. So, you know, there's, there's, again, like I said, I mean, there, there's some articles, there's a lot of articles we produce and share for general public interest. There's things we have locked behind a paywall. And a lot of our data sets are locked behind a paywall as well.
0: The battle that you have to overcome with that, that we've like talked about many times, but like, you've had to overcome that part of your story that like, myself as a white man have never been asked like are you in this to make money or to do good it's like well i don't get why does fucking sherelle get asked that and not me you know Uh um, right. like, so I like, like
1: nice shit too like yeah I
0: mean. <laughs> you like nicer shit that i like uh and uh and i think the the piece of that though is like building the bloomberg for black tech right like that storytelling has to include high value pricing And so like, here's like a little more tactical question to kind of talk about your product. You have gone through many iterations. Your database is unbelievably valuable. If you're an investor listening to this and you're trying to reach black tech founders, like there is no better database than what the plug is offering. But I have told you that I think you're underpricing it before. And I think other other people kind of believe the same thing. But tell me about your pricing strategy. Like, how did you think about that as a media operator? Because I think a lot of people struggle with this.
1: Gosh, I think we still struggle with it. Honestly, Adam, I think that, you know, we've had to go from like, Oh, like, you know, grab us for a hundred dollars a year or like 10 bucks a month, you know, and looking at what our peers were doing mostly and trying to be on par there. I think also trying to feel like, okay, have we built up enough of our arsenal and our credibility to have a higher price point? Um, We did double our price point to $300 annually, And even that, again, you know, I think that we could continue to kick things up a notch as we just even as a team internally, um, we have a new amazing director of research, we are becoming so much more strategic and have grown into our own, um, so to speak. I don't know if like, from the pricing standpoint that we have got it right just yet. But we're also experimenting with some a la carte things like just research in and of itself, our research reports that people want access to. You know and how we kind of price those individually or databases like some people are like i just want to buy like this specific database and creating an opportunity for a la carte you know nature as well it's just a lot of experimentation to kind of figure out like what are people willing to pay for a thing especially when it comes to something that feels like okay the, the tangible benefit is that i can make smarter decisions as i'm doing research in a particular space or industry It really is for, you know, on our team, we we talk about that inclusive business thinker. You know, when Kellogg students came onto the platform and as we've been talking to other B schools, we're like, well, what would it look like if every B school in the country had a subscription to the plug? And their case studies that they're reviewing in school and they're walking into a workforce where they are starting to consider the other side of business and tech from people that necessarily may not look like them or think like them or build like them. And so there's so many questions and tweaking and trying to get that part right. And as you know, the media world and the landscape is changing and transforming in so many different ways that for us trying to match a price point to value is a very very significant challenge for sure, especially as we continue to figure out like how do we not just produce data and produce stories but create and craft a community that helps people to understand why this is significant and how they can apply it to the work that they're doing. And I think that the downstream effect, quite honestly, is as people become members, even as they're coming on as members for $300 a year, or we have like companies like HubSpot, who's like marketing team, you know, we have like 20, 20 folks from their marketing team who are on the platform. It's like the downstream effects and net effects of becoming a member is now you're commissioning a report with the plug or you're now becoming an advertiser. Um, so we see this like, I guess the, the popular term is like flywheel <laughs> of, of opportunity to that $300 leads to tens of thousands of dollars for us long term as we get people into the flywheel of the plugs, products and services overall.
0: I believe smart media businesses build audience first. Driving value for an audience starts with actually knowing who they are. And Sailthrough's platform makes that simple. I'm busy, as I'm sure you are too. And the way Sailthrough links tech together really lets marketing executives do more in less time. Head to Sailthrough.com, that's S-A-I-L-T-H-R-U.com to check them out or visit the link in our description. I think one of my biggest things with paid products that a lot of operators forget is that the price is part of the story and too often it's just looked as like hey this is like what we think it's valued at but it's really like hey if it's ten dollars a month and this is this story if it's three hundred dollars a year it's this story and if it's ten grand a year it's this story and your price actually like helps dictate your story and i think like that's as the plug continues to grow i think that's the most fun thing I'm excited about is like I think the story will grow as the price will grow and that will be that will be that continuing on the storytelling element one of the most impressive things that I'm seeing right now that you're doing and it just comes so natural and that might be the answer to this but it's cultural relevance to me I like type write about it all time and like talk about it but it really to me is like the more culturally relevant you are, the more relatable you are, the more relatable, the more trustworthy you are, the more trustworthy, the more things that someone's going to buy from you. And like, that's what media is. And you have been able to take a database business, some would say is a slightly boring business. And I respect you to death and your pedigree, but like, Columbia journalism sometimes doesn't teach that like, hey, just press publish, don't be perfect, like don't have personality. You know, there's like journalism. I went to University of Missouri. There's like journalism schools that like, take your voice out of this. It's not about you. It's about the story, right? Like that's like just classic kind of journalism teaching. And I think what the plug's been able to do is intertwine personality and cultural relevance with like credible, utility-driven databases. How do you do that? And how do you think about it?
1: You know, as you alluded to earlier, I think there are some things that come naturally. I think there's truly a passion for this work. You know, before I ever turned this into a business, like I said, I was getting up at like five, six in the morning and pulling together in this labor of love, this like conversation, primarily because I was having conversations and discussions and engagements and going to conferences where there was just tremendous frustration, Of not being counted as our work is just as genius as everybody else's is. I feel a tremendous sense of duty to be representative, to be fair, and to combine, I think, all of the skill sets required to not just like run a business, but to be a thoughtful journalist and to also like hold companies accountable. Like, just because they're black, it doesn't mean like we're covering them. And just because they're black, it doesn't mean we're gonna say nice things. But to, to have like the, the foundation, and the core tenets of what journalism is supposed to be, but also be as clear about who we are as a company in terms of wanting to dignify and identify genius in, in all its kind of forms, particularly in communities that have been harmed by journalism. I think there's this wave of, of uh, media companies who are apologizing for past sins of discrimination and, and the way that they've covered and used language to be harmful. And you know, part of our code of ethics is that we do not want to cause harm. Uh, we want to be as honest. We want to be as resourceful and, and, and ensuring that you know sources are there. But when George Floyd was, was murdered in 2020, that was one of the hardest times in journalism and business and in life. It was trying to figure out how do we have this conversation from a place of how do we use our platform and our voice in an impactful way? And I think that's really when people saw the prowess of our work in our databases and scraping Twitter for text statements and creating a cross-reference database of diversity and inclusion reports to understand all the companies that were making these bold statements. Like, well, what does that actually look like on the ground at your company? And people appreciated it to the point where every single year we get approached or commissioned to do additional research on where those text statements have lied. I think that was a very proud moment for us in, in journalism where I could be angry I could be really freaking angry, and also leverage our work and the dedication of our work to serve not just our audience because our audience isn't all black, but like, but to serve Black community in during a time that was the most tender. So I, I, I think I think a lot of it is organic, but a lot of it just comes from trying to survive in places and in spaces where. You don't get all the dimensionality and nuance that you should be having and trying to show up and be that. And sometimes I have to like not have my phone in my hand because then I'll start tweeting some nonsense and then everyone will cancel your me. Your so. tweets are
0: your <laughs> tweets are what makes you. Uh, I, I think that there's there's something that's that's really for everyone, like potentially looking to build out a media business or like do that you built in many ways for yourself. You like solved the problem that you saw, right? Like you talked about lazy intellectual journalism. You saw the black community not be covered in like unique ways. You saw the inaccessibility of like black databases and and investors trying to reach them. You like solved your own problem basically for yourself. And in those moments, in those life changing moments like George Floyd's murder was like, that's where, when you're building for yourself, It all comes together. And I think like that's something that if you're building not for yourself, it's like really hard to have those like authentic moments when they matter because you're like, I don't actually have the pulse of what's happening where like you you exactly knew like where you were at. I also think it's a challenge. Uh, I just want to take this moment to like challenge everyone that in that summer of 2020, the plug had a lot of press and a lot of business and interest. And I hope that everyone that took interest at that time, that it has not diminished uh, since then. And if anything, it has grown uh, through understanding how much, how much more opportunity and, and money there is to be made to be educated about an audience that you may not know how to reach. And so anyway, that's my plug for the plug.
1: I appreciate the plug. You know, I think that I think what was very clear in, in the kind of subsequent years post 2020 uh, was that you see much more coverage and reporting on black investors and black startups now and more mainstream. And that just wasn't the case before. I think when it again comes to data is we kind of go through these cycles and movements of attention. And what's, what's interesting is that during the pandemic or the beginning of the stage of the pandemic, I also produced a podcast series called the Clark street project. And we essentially told the story of the associated Negro press. And then in 1919, And Chicago and started to map out Black business journalists during those early days and their coverage of Black businesses and some of the unique barriers, but also like just interesting insights that they had with sustaining, you know, sustaining their companies like AfroLink, which got $10 million from AOL. It's like back in the 90s, like created by like Malcolm Cassell, who passed away about two years ago you know, Stanford kid, like super dope. But the challenges, the ongoing challenges to look up 150 20, 10 years later, particularly when it comes to the spending of advertising on Black media. And then despite the same level of like gusto around the work and the necessity and utility of the work, it's still being an ongoing challenge. So now that I look at where we are today and I look at You know, still, there's these commitments, of course, of like, we're going to spend more with Black media, right? Like, that's not just a plug issue. It is generally the issue of like, you know, larger brands typically will work with us for Black History Month. And, you know, obviously, when George Floyd was murdered, there was much more interest. And it's like, well, we don't have any use for you throughout the rest of the year. And like, that's just a really harsh reality. And so trying to build a business from such a place of bias can be somewhat of a challenge. You have to be very creative. But I think also you see the ebb and the flow of major crises leading to these major commitments and then kind of this level of comfortability and like, you know, we'll do a little bit here, a little bit there. But I I think that the the data has given us an opportunity for ongoing accountability. And that's what I'm excited about most is that people are really looking at data as a way to say, oh, wait, 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 you know, you said you're going to do this. What are the results? And then the next year, so what are the results now and the following year? Okay, did you say what did you do? What you were gonna say you were gonna do. So I love that space that we're in because it is, it is broken open, some empty promises, uh, wide open.
0: Utility driven content is like the easiest thing to sell, and like I think the the storytelling that you all are doing to get back to what I think you're great at is like you're telling an authentic story that's yours to tell, and you're building utility and databases around that. And I and you used momentum. I think this is like another takeaway for me is like. You did use the momentum of the summer of 2020 to like hire a director of research of Viley. like you got, you built a team to capture that momentum that then propelled you forward. And I think sometimes yeah. in those moments, it can be overwhelming to like not build, um, but instead you kept building. So that definitely is to me how the plug has had so much success. Also, it's just your continuous ability to, to tell great stories and be authentic to who you are. So for the next section uh, that we covered, that was kind of getting into the tactical playbook of storytelling, which I think you're great at, sections much, much quicker. But what do you think your industry, Black Tech Intelligence, will look like in 12 months?
1: In 12 months, I think that we will start to see ongoing research-centered institutions that are covering race and business um, start to emerge, particularly within the kind of university sector. So I know there's this whole thing of, like, VCs are, like, now launching all their own media companies, right? And then, like, you know, trying to tell their own stories for whatever distaste they have for, for journalism as a whole. And then I think we'll continue to also see that emerge from platform providers, like conferences and things like that, who are also trying to get in on the space. So what's great about that is that there's going to be a deluge of more databases in which to pull from. And more intelligence and conversations around the utility and, and the significance of the intelligence a few years ago when i was starting off with the plug i always got pushback from investors or even partners like well like this isn't essentially it was like it was like like no one no one cares about this or <laughs> no one wants this right and like now all of a sudden everyone's like well do you have the data on this do you have the data on this and it's like oh okay like now now you understand like why this is significant so Um, I think we're out of the we're out of the phase of having to prove that this should exist.
0: And you've had VCs follow that, right? Like that's like, look at what Harlem's doing. Like, look at like the capital being raised for the first. You have an amazing board of advisors that like have represented the the challenges of being a black founder raising or an investor raising a fund. And like in the last 12 months, like you've covered more startups and more firms raising than like in the history of since you started tracking it.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, again, you know, attention is on, has been hyper focused on that sense of like lack and challenge and barriers and things like that. Um, I think where for us at The Plug, like our goal is to continue to identify like what are these emerging opportunities at the end of the day? Like we can kind of go ad nauseum about like, oh, you know, such and such only got XYZ this quarter in funding. Like I think that there are a couple of people, a couple of publications to firms that are going to do that very well. Um, but we want to hyper focus on like what are the outliers? Who's building in places that have like no competition? Like the other day, I was interviewing a founder who like government contracts like straight unicorn, real stealth mode, and is killing it. And I'm just like, like you guys go go focus on like what's not happening, but like I want to focus on like what what is happening? Like how do we start to derive some of some of that data? So yeah, 12 months down the line, I think that everyone is going to be trying to figure out from their own data, like how to tell this story, um, more stories, at least, of how Black, Brown, other like underrepresented groups are experiencing various aspects of this like startup world, particularly within kind of a media environment. And then I also think that like the seriousness of of investment in data research and intelligence is going to continue to grow and be useful to people just outside of just even startup landia right like academic all, all of that
0: all right what do you think will be totally different in five years and what do you think is going to be the exact same
1: i mean i don't know apparently all the tech girls are going to push us into the metaverse forever so maybe that will be completely different um <laughs> I think that we definitely will see a consolidation of media companies. I think that, you know, we will hopefully get to a place that we have solved the disinformation issue within media as well to kind of really tra- cut down on the scammers, the mis- and disinformation that has um, really plagued internet focused media. I'm also hoping And it's just wishful thinking, like, I'm I'm hoping that we don't have to keep having some of these really hard race conversations. Um, I'm hoping that the spending, like how big companies like the Sephora's and the Nordstrom's have made pledges to do tens of millions of dollars in business with underrepresented groups. And I'm hoping that particularly in media, that's the same case with advertisers, that it's no longer a, here's a separate business funnel for you all, and then everyone else can walk through the front door. That it's that we're all walking through the front door together and it is, it is indicative of the value and the emphasis placed on these niche-based publications overall. That's my wish in five years. I think that we're still going to continue to have this equity conversation challenge and conversation. We've been having it since the birth of this country, unfortunately. And, you know, I think that we're all going to still be trying to chase people's attention at the end of the day, like the technology will change, the platform will change. We will constantly be trying to figure out how to reach people, how to build communities. And, and that, that's actually the exciting part of it because it's always gonna force you to learn, especially as a publisher, to learn like, where do you meet people? How do they become part of your like individual tribe? What more do they want to learn about a particular uh, topic or subject? And I'm excited about that, like the niche of the niche of the niche. Um, and how people start to segment themselves into that. Like, I just became part of like a Notion Twitter community that's like kind of top secret. It's like a black Notion, and it's just like people are like, "Yo, like, did you just catch this like Notion template or what have you?" And it's like it's like the coolest thing ever. Um, so anyway, I have, that's that's what I'm thinking. In the next five years, will stay the same.
0: I've been the beneficiary of your Notion templates. So uh, that, that, that's, a, that's a good community right there. Um, all right. The last section of this interview uh, is a reaction from one of my newsletters, Perpetual. The one that we uh, want to cover today is when I wrote about advertising. Uh, one of the pieces, my takeaway is that it's a great business. It can be profitable. It, it's a great way for media companies to, uh, to grow and, and invest in their content. But it's hard. Uh, it's hard to scale. It's, it's a lot of work. The plug obviously, besides having paid products, also leans into advertising. Like, what's your thoughts on on advertising with media companies?
1: I definitely agree that it is very very hard. Um, I think the whole CPM uh, business model is just dead. I remember like having a blog in college, and like that's how I paid like my rent in college was through my blog and um, <laughs> and like the whole CPM on like my my stupid homepage it's just hard to even think of like inventory of banner ads and folks don't really want to pay for banner ads anymore. People want more sponsored content. And then from an editorial perspective, you have to kind of like ensure that you're differentiating appropriately. You know, we're, we're still looking at like, you know, now in-person events because everyone's advertisers are tired of, of virtual events. So it's rough to wrap your head around, even as a team, even if you have the best salespeople, the best brand partnerships and campaigns person, you have to consistently become very creative. What I will say I have found fascinating, um, and even before Swap Stack became a thing, there was a company out of Israel that was trying to create more of like a collective platform for advertisers and media companies or advertisers and newsletters to like meet as well. Thought leaders? Thought leaders, yes. Do they still exist? Are they still oh, around? Oh yeah, I've
0: known I've known David for years. Uh, it's a funny, nice. that's, that's hilarious. It's yeah, I was real. on
1: one of their podcasts a while ago. Um, <laughs> so I like the idea of trying to find aligned platforms where we can all meet together and hug it out. But figuring out, how advertisers value visibility within the space, I think is, is changing. And I don't know that we're all changing at the same time, especially when it comes to niche-centered media. You may have some thoughts on that, you know, independently, Adam, but I don't know that we know exactly how to do it right. Specifically, I think when there's very specific aligned things with our audience, it's kind of easier. Like, okay, you're, you're trying to promote a accelerator opportunity for Black and Latinx founders like that totally fits but also like you know there are folks in our audience who are tech savvy so if we're selling a tesla battery for home use like that could still fit but that's going to be a different kind of storyline that we have to create in order to sell that so i don't have any good answers i think that you know your piece really like at least outlined that like hey it, it, it was very validating in terms of it sucks But it is also a great lucrative opportunity if we can find the right formula at the end of the day.
0: I think something I'd add to that piece today is that if you are an incredibly value-driven brand where you have editorial best practices like The Plug does, if you are like... If you're building your story from values and operations, it makes advertising incredibly difficult. It also leans itself really into the storytelling of paid products. That's how I'd kind of intertwine this whole thing is like if if you're, I say, I steal this from Jared Dicker, but your business model is your product strategy. And the reality is advertising as a business model can sometimes dictate what products you can do because you have advertisers that you have to talk to and if you're values driven that's really hard to accept and so I'm a big proponent of advertising as I wrote in that yeah. piece but I, I don't think it's for everybody all the time yeah. uh all right well uh that was awesome thank you so much for coming on I had a blast and I can't wait till next time
1: yes thank you
0: thanks for tuning in if you'd like to stay ahead of media's next move then make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. I'll see you next time.